doesn't say, if you pray hard enough for it, I will put a new heart in you. God says, I will give you a new heart. Well, that's true of our kids as well. We can't make our kids believe. It's not something they're born into, nor is it something that they receive by our hard work or by their hard work. The hearts of our kids are in God's hands. But while that is true, God has given us tools. God has given us ordinary tools that in His hands can accomplish extraordinary things. And those two tools are discipline and instruction in the Lord. And so, fathers, both of these tools are to be used in such a way that they point you to the goodness of God found in Jesus Christ. In the last two weeks, we've looked at instruction. And so if you're first-timers or if you weren't here over the last couple of weeks, you can find those sermons somewhere on our website. I'm not sure where. I don't normally go on there. But today we're tackling discipline. My first question, if you have your outline, um, is why do our children need discipline? And so kids, 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 let me see the kids. Let me see the ones that really need it. Just kidding. Kids, let me ask you, why do you need to be disciplined? Because of your sins. That's a perfect answer, Gideon. Answering, even though your sister raised her hand. It's a perfect answer. Good. Um, Kids, did you bring your Bibles? You should have your Bibles. You should know by now we bring our Bibles to church. So open in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Everybody, not just kids. But everybody turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Now, earlier I said that as Christians, we parent differently than the world does. Why? Well, one fundamental reason uh, for why we parent differently than the world does is because the world basically views children as born good. And so don't discipline, they argue. Those are mistakes. They're not sins. They're born good. Or they believe that our children are born as clean slates or blank slates. And so leave them to themselves. You're just going to mess them up. Well, how well does that work with such things like gardens? And so never fertilizing or never weeding our gardens. And all of a sudden we look outside and there's this beautiful ripe fruit growing up in front of us or flowers or whatever we're planting. No, of course that's not true. What we'll find are weeds. And so Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, kids, I know you're focusing on that last part, um, the rod of discipline, and you're thinking to yourself, Oh, great, Pastor Steve is going to tell our dads to spank us or to use a rod of discipline upon us. Yes. Yes, I am. That is exactly what I'm going to say today, but not yet. Um, um, folly there, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, is foolishness. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now this is pointing us to a very important truth that I've already alluded to, and that is to the fact that we are all born sinful, we are all born foolish. Um, we're all born fools. Kids, that's, that's true, not just of you, true of you, but that's true of every single person in this room who's been born. We were all born foolish, and so we all needed discipline, need discipline. Sin turns every one of us into fools. And Proverbs paints a pretty good picture of what a fool looks like. So Proverbs 10, 14 says, A fool cares more about talking 
than learning. Chapter 10, verse 23, a fool does not take sin or the consequences of sin seriously. That's a fool. Verses 12, Proverbs 12, 15, a fool rejects the advice of others and only listens to himself. How good is the advice you normally give yourself? Proverbs 13, 16, a fool is proud of his foolishness or his sinfulness. 14, 16, a fool does not plan ahead, but is careless about his future, about his life, and so think prodigal son. Proverbs 15, 5, a fool doesn't listen to his parents, rejects what his father says. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, a, a fool repeats his mistakes, his sins, over and over and over again, just as a dog returns to its vomit. That's the picture. Those are some things that fools do. But what is foolishness? Well, first, as Proverbs 22.15 tells us, it's a heart problem. Foolishness is bound up in the heart. What does the fool's heart say? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And Paul, Romans chapter 3, in the passage we probably know very well, um, quotes Romans, or quotes Psalm 14 in several verses and says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And so at its very center, foolishness is a denial of God. And Proverbs tells us that what flows out of that is a rejection of his wisdom um, for life. And so fathers and mothers, you need to remember that as we go, as we set standards for our children to reach, they must be um, biblical ones. <laughs> it's to drive out foolishness, not childishness. We'll come back to that as we go. So because foolishness is a heart problem that we're all born with, and because at its very center um, of foolishness is a denial of who God is and a rejection of his wisdom, wisdom, literature, proverbs, like the law, isn't enough. The law and wisdom literature, like Proverbs, just aren't enough. They can't change the heart. And so ultimately, every proverb points us to Jesus Christ. They point us to the need of an intervention of divine grace. And so Proverbs, over and over and over again, as you read through it, as you listen to it, screams out that Jesus had to come, that he had to live the wise life that he had to die for the penalty that all God-denying fools deserve, that he had to be raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering foolishness. Because without Jesus coming and living and dying and rising again, we'd have no hope. And so all the Proverbs sort of come together into this one hand or one finger that points to Jesus Christ and our need for him. So kids need instruction they need the gospel, and when they believe, they'll need it again and again and again, along with the whole of God's canon. That was last week. I keep recapping. Uh, but it's also why our kids need discipline. So why does God command us parents to discipline our children who have foolishness bound up in their hearts? That's not the gospel. If that's what they need, that's not the gospel. Even if you write gospel on your implements of discipline, 
It's not going to change their hearts. And so why do we do it? Well, now turn to Hebrews chapter 12, the passage that Kepha read from um, earlier. And as you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 11. As you're turning there, I'm going to read to you Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. That sounds similar. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, um, the son in whom he delights. So are you there? Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Kiefer read it, but we'll read it again. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. So that's earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's a beautiful passage, if you think about it, from beginning to end. And we'll talk, talk more about this as we sort of um, continue on this morning, Lord willing. But the basics are earthly fathers discipline their children for good. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us. His children, believers, in his son for our good. Now he says there that we might share in his holiness or that we might yield the fruit of righteousness. And so God is ob obviously after the heart uh, when he disciplines. But the basics here that we need to get are earthly father's discipline, heavenly father disciplines. There's a fundamental difference between the two families that are being uh, presented here. If we have unbelieving children, children who are not yet believers... And at some point, all of our children are unbelievers. But in that sense, we don't relate to our children in the same way that God relates to us as believing children of us, of his. God relates to us on the basis of our union to Jesus Christ by faith. If our children are unbelievers, God relates to our children, our unbelieving children, as enemies. I don't hold to eternal justification. I'm not paedobaptist. If our children have not yet believed the gospel, God relates to them as enemies, as those who have not yet entered into his family. But we as parents do. We relate to our children, regardless of their standing in Christ, as family members. And that's a good thing um, that we do. Um, they are already a part of our family. And so why then do we as fathers and mothers, with that fundamental difference, strive then to discipline like God disciplines? This is important. This is important for us as fathers to remember. Really in everything that we're doing as we are leading in our homes. But especially I think with discipline, because it can get off. But we discipline like God disciplines, not to teach them, our children, to earn salvation through moralistic conformity to laws, but 
to teach them what it's like to be a part of God's family. Even as unbelievers on the outside, we lead and even discipline the way the scriptures would teach us to show them a picture of what it's like to be in God's family. And so we have fellowship with our kids, unsaved and saved. And sometimes that feels like laughter. Sometimes it feels like good conversation when we receive our children every night um, to our table and eat with them. To our children, it feels like order. It feels like roles and authority and submission. Sometimes it feels like painful consequences to our sin. Discipline. And so we don't punish, we discipline. The pain we mete out for disobedience is instructive, first and foremost. It's not retributive. It's not recompense. So the way we parent is different than the way the world parents. We have an eye on something greater as believers, and that is saving fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so everything we do as fathers has to have that goal. Fellowship, dinner, formal family worship, informal Bible instruction, work, marriage, and discipline. Because we're teaching them what authority and obedience and submission and relationship and blessing is like in God's family, including discipline. So even our discipline should be telling our children a good story about how God relates to his people especially working very hard to present that picture well to our unbelieving children. I didn't do that well, which could be an encouragement to you, fathers. I didn't have all of that precisely in my mind in everything that I did as a father, especially in the discipline uh, that I meted out uh, to my kids. Um, And so I'm not saying, standing up here saying, do it because I did it this way and it worked really well. I'm saying, do what I tried to do, mostly failed at, but do it because this is how God has told us to parent. He's given us um, one instruction, or one tool um, as instruction. He's given the other one as discipline. To show our kids what it's like to tell and proclaim, but also show our kids what it's like to be a child in God's family. So start thinking this way about discipline. Study discipline more. Read books by others that might disagree with some of the things that that I'm going to say today. But as Sonny and I were having, uh, a couple had us over for hospitality the other night, and we were talking with them. They were uh, a young couple. And we were saying, I don't remember what the issue, maybe it was marriage we were talking about itself. But books are good, and read books. There are lots of really good books out there, and Kiefer can probably tell you all of the really good ones and all of the really bad ones. He's probably read all of them at one point or another. That's a good thing. Read books, but more importantly, reach out to older couples and walk with older couples. Reach out to older ones people that you can see and hear and touch to talk about. Maybe your mistakes. That's where I lead with. (laughs) Mistakes as a parent. But teach them. Walk them through the Word and where your hope was and where your trust was and how God was faithful to you. 
So younger parents here this morning, if you have children, if you don't have yet children, reach out to older parents. And if you're shy, older parents, reach out to them and ask them to meet and talk and fellowship over issues like this, marriage, parenting. Um, so those are reasons for why we discipline our kids, because they're fools. <laughs> and sorry, it's just biblical language. Fools. And because we want to show them a good picture about what it's like to be in God's family. And then the last thing is because we love them. Mercy. It's late. Um, Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him um, is diligent to discipline him. Hebrews 12, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're finishing this today. It's been three weeks since we've been in this one verse, so we're doing all of it today. I'm just telling you, that's what we're going to go until it's over. Um, but Hebrews 12 <laughs> is about how God had brought restorative, loving discipline to his people. It was painful, but it was good, but it was also loving. And so Psalm 119.57, something I return to time and time and time again, whenever God visits dark providence upon my own life, Psalm 119.57 reads, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, now I keep your word. We've all strayed like sheep, and God has disciplined us. But we are thankful because it turned it back us back to his Word. The hateful thing would be to let for God to let sin take root in our life, grow in strength throughout our life to where it's more difficult to fight it and to kill it. And so that would be the hateful thing to do, and we don't want that to happen to our children. And so Proverbs 23, 13, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> the point is, to not discipline our children who have foolishness bound up in their hearts is to allow that foolishness to take root and to grow in strength in their lives, which brings about all sorts of sorrows and destructions later on. Wages of sin is death. And so discipline, along with gospel instruction, point them to a better end of their sin, which is Christ faith in Christ and repentance of your foolishness, that's our goal as parents for our children. While the heart is in God's hands, these are the tools that he has given us that are able to accomplish extraordinary things. They point him to the one who is able to accomplish extraordinary things. So kids, listen. Listen, kids. Don't despise the discipline of your fathers. Even if they've done it poorly, they do it because they love you. So that's why we discipline. Our children are fools. It's a part of the good picture of what it's like to be in God's family and because we love them and because we hate sin. So how do we discipline our children? Let's first define it. What is discipline? Discipline is, first, it's the parent's responsibility. Nowhere else in the Bible, does it say someone else outside of your family should be disciplining your children? It's the parents, it's the father's responsibility. Second, it's an act of faith. I'm going to go quickly through these. It's an act of faith. God has commanded fathers to discipline their children. We may not understand how God uses it for greater things, but it is an expression of confidence in God's command to us, to us for us to uh, discipline our children. So it's an act of faith. It's also an act of faithfulness. 
Discipline is a show of love and commitment to your child, recognizing that in discipline there is hope. And that's what God is laying out for us. In discipline there is hope. It's a rejection of being a willing party to sitting by and watching your children's willfulness towards foolishness just continue to grow. And so it's a parent's responsibility, it's an act of faith, it's an act of faithfulness, and it's a measured use of discipline. Discipline is the careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of punishment. It is never a venting of of anger. It's not something that's ever done or should never be done out of frustration, ever. That leans towards abuse, not discipline. And regardless, it's sinful anger. When we discipline in anger, it's sinful anger, and that is murder. We're killing our children in our hearts when we do that. So the tool is measured The way it is given is measured. The parent must be measured. So we'll get to the rod in just a moment. I think we need to establish when we discipline first. I've alluded to it already, but it's for rebellion and disobedience. It's not for childishness. If a child spills milk, children are just going to do that. In seminary, we had a couple over for dinner. Some of you will remember this well. I had a couple over for dinner. I think three or four-year-old child. Three, three-year-old child was at our house, and she was curious about a lamp. And she touched the lamp, and the globe, I hadn't secured it properly. I'm not good at that kind of stuff, but it was just sort of set there, fell off, and broke. Thankfully, it didn't hit her, but it fell off and cracked. Grabbed his child by the arm, raced her to the back of, the, back of our house, and proceeded to soundly discipline his, his three-year-old child. I did not hear a warning. Don't touch that. All I heard was frustration and anger, and that's all that child heard was frustration um, and anger. Um, Or maybe he wanted me to think that the punishment's over. I don't have to buy you a new globe for your lamp. (laughs) But that was abuse. That wasn't discipline. So what you discipline for needs to be clearly stated to your children. They should... um, And they should be for things that the Bible says are wrong with the heart. Remember Proverbs 22, 15. We're using um, God's ordained means to drive foolishness out of the heart. And so Ted Tripp emphasizes is using Mark 7, 20 through 23. Many of you read Shepherding a Child's Heart. This will probably be familiar. I think it's that book. But he says, Mark 7, 20 through 23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The The problem with our children is not so much what they do, it's what's on the inside of them. It's what's in the heart of them. And all of these things that I just listed off in Mark chapter 7 can show themselves in a slew of different ways. Kids fighting or arguing with one another, stealing toys, being selfish with what they have, not sharing, telling lies. Our kids knew that if you lied, that was the severest form of punishment in our house. We had a special spoon with a a sad face and tears on it that said lying spoon, I believe, on it. I think we broke one and had to get another one. Um, 
Being hateful, not doing chores is an act of disobedience. Having a bad attitude, rolling your eyes uh, is not honoring of your parents. All of these things deserve the rod because they're acts of rebellion against you, the rules that you've stated, but more importantly, they are against God's rules, clearly stated. So you need to state that that is your standard to your children as parents. Make it clear. And so use Scripture. If your kids are fighting, read James 4, 1 through 2. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And then after that, after they've heard, hopefully repented, read James 1, 22. Be a doer of the word, not merely a hearer of the word. Or Romans 12, 16. That was a big one in our house, and we always quoted it in the New American Standard Version. But it was, do not be haughty in, your ha- in mind. Do not be prideful, essentially. That was constantly being echoed in our house. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be haughty in, in mind. Our kids know that one. You know your kids. Look up and read with them the scriptures that are appropriate. Memorize the scriptures with them. Have your kids memorize those scriptures as they align with your rules. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth when they're speaking things they shouldn't say or speaking with corrupting talk. Quote the verse. On and on and on it goes. There are scriptures for everything for us to have. Use scriptures to explain clearly why they are being punished. And so sort of a side note, family devotions are great times to deal with these rules, explain them, and the issues of sin when they come up. If a child is having a particularly difficult time regarding a specific sin in their life, fathers, take your children aside and do one-on-one devotions with them for a while. Look into the scriptures. Pray with them for God to come um, and deliver what they need. If they're not believers, certainly Christ. But use the scriptures. Pray for them. Pray with them. So make rules. Expect obedience. And if there is disobedience, rush to discipline. Immediately move into the mode of discipline. Again, we're trying to teach our children what it's like to be in God's family and what God expects. What does God expect? Immediate obedience. Now, if your child is riding his bike in your yard and he's going towards a a heavily trafficked street, what do you say? Cooper, stop! You don't say, Cooper, I'm going to give you till 10 to stop because by 10, he may be in the road. Or, like it was in our house, earlier, to three. No, you want immediate obedience because you want them um, all the time because you want them in those instances to know that you're for their good causing them or calling them um, to stop. So Proverbs 13, 24, I think is kind of helpful. If you read the commentaries on it, it's almost comical. Especially when you read Gil, sort of try to explain. (laughs) Anyway, who does a really good job, but says a lot of different things, I think. But whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The word for diligent there is betimes in the, in the, in the King James Version. Um, could be translated as, as the morning. Gil says, maybe it's in the morning you're supposed to do this. <laughs> um, but I think it means when they're young, in the, in the morning of their life, in the morning of their youth, um, that it's when they're young. This is when our primary modes of... of Discipline should be um, done. But it could also just mean whenever the sin is committed in the morning. 
quickly in the, in the youth of the act. Get to them and, and rush to this one. I think that's actually the most likely. Now, if Cooper learned to obey only by that count of 10, he could have been in a car accident, not stop in time. So it needs to be immediate because we want them to immediately stop from doing that which is dangerous to our children. So make rules, move quickly to discipline uh, before applying the rod, and then first, before you apply the rod, reprove the sin. Proverbs 6.23, reproofs of discipline are the way of life or lead to life. Ask your child what they should have done differently. I shouldn't have lied, or I, I shouldn't have fought with my brother, or I shouldn't have fought with my sister, or I shouldn't have stolen whatever it was. We're not even to the rod part, but you can see how much time this takes as a father and how much focus it takes and how much patience it takes and love. If you don't have time for this, then something in your life is taking up too much of your time. Your kids are living stewardships given to you and they have eternal souls. That requires diligence. So be diligent. Pray often about this. Pray with your wives. Pray often with your kids about these things. What you're doing as parents, what your goals are with all that you're doing. So make clear rules. React immediately to sin. Have them confess to the sin. Then reprove them. Then enact the punishment. So folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So what is the rod? You know, something that's going to administer pain. We used a rod-like implement for some things. I used a belt once on Ezekiel that I think broke me more than it did him. Um, there were other children that I'm sure deserved the belt more than he did, but <laughs> somehow he got it. Um, but most of the time we used our hand. So we spanked. But the idea is that they feel pain. Not enough to harm them or to break the skin. Again, the idea is not retributive or vengeance. It's never to be done out of frustration or anger. It's to be meted. It's to be measured. Um, this is something I failed in. And I'm deeply sorry, kids, for the way I failed. In it. Some offenses might require more spanks than others. Some kids might require more spanks than others. Two kids can be committing the same sin. I have a particular story in mind, but I'm not going to share it. Two kids could be committing the same sin, but one kid might get more because of how they're responding or because of the nature of the sin itself or how you know your own children. What about timeouts? Now, we're talking about long periods of time separated from your parents, and I'd say no, mainly for this reason. A sin has been committed. First of all, it's because we're commanded to use the rod. But also, the picture, I think, is painted as not a good one from long, extended periods of, of time out. Um, a sin's been committed. And because a sin's been committed, a fellowship has been broken between parent and child. And so long, extended time and separation prolongs that time of conflict and gives the wrong impression to the child about what it's like in God's family. Remember, that's our goal, is to bring about restoration and reconciliation that we find in God's family. 
So this is something that we should desire strongly, reconciliation with our children, not separation from our children, but strongly desire to be reunited, to be reconciled with our kids. Um, it's, it, it's amazing. I think I can pinpoint adults in church who were poorly raised in this department, who are not taught to quickly go and seek reconciliation. Teach your kids now. They're going to be church adults prayerfully later on in life. Um, so no to long extended timeouts. If a child needs a few moments to calm down, something like go to your room, I'll be there shortly. I don't see anything inherently wrong there. You know your children. God makes them all special. <laughs> but timeouts shouldn't be the normal or common way that you discipline your children. Words of reproof and rods should be. What about other means? Sometimes withholding privileges might be useful. God withheld privileges from Moses when he struck the rock of anger. Fixing what was broken, paying um, for what was broken might be an alternative based upon the age, based upon the nature of, of the sin. But, but reproof and the rod are the primary means. These are the means that God has ordained. But mostly know your kids. Know them well. We had to know each of our children. We had four children. We had to know each of our children well. So we knew what spoke to them the most. When we spoke to them. When we talked to them. How we reproved them. And so know your children um, well. When should you start spanking? When they're old enough to obey and disobey. When they're clearly able to understand the rules. Um, that you've set out. When do you stop? Well, the goal is that over time, the spanking gets less and less and less, but there's no age limit given to us here. One of ours got one at the age of 15 or so, which if I remember right, was done out of anger, out of an, <laughs> out of an unexpected outburst. And so I, <laughs> so I think both were wrong at that point. <clears throat> but you know your kids and what gets through to them. If you're, if you're, 18-year-old or 17-year-old is doing six-year-old things, I think they deserve the rod that a six-year-old deserves. Um, if they're 16, 17, or 18, um, what, did, what did parents do in the Old Testament when their teenagers were unruly? Took them to the elders and had them stoned, right? I'm not advocating for stoning, but maybe bringing them to the elders would be something to do um, that we could they're older, 18 years old, uh, especially if they're covenant uh, members. What about, um, there's so much here that I, I don't have, to, I'm sorry, I don't have time to, I just listed off questions that might, might come up. But remember the goal of our parenting to saved and unsaved children is to show them what it's like to be a member of God's family. And so when we sin, have this in your mind as fathers, when we sin, God disciplines his children because he loves us. And he wants for us what will bring us the most joy, the most contentment, and the most blessing. And that, of course, is obedience. Discipline teaches that. But we also want to constantly point them to Christ, that he is the way into God's family. Now, especially to those children who are not yet saved. 
if your children grow frustrated over constantly getting in trouble and getting disciplined, first of all, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep doing. Keep obeying. But don't let them walk away from you with an idea that just being better makes things okay. You don't want the picture to be that we work our way into God's family, but that it's by grace through faith. And so explain to them that this is sin and say, just like you sin, I sin. I'm a sinner too. That's not an excuse. That's the reality. You struggle with this because you need Jesus. And then share with your children the gospel over and over and over and over again. Plead while you hold out the hope that Christ has for every frustrated sinner. Christ himself has kept the law that we sinners never could. And so Jesus says to sinners, come to me. To who? All those who were weary and heavy laden, right? Weary of their sins. Come and I will give you rest. What kind of rest? Jesus has borne our sin on the cross for all those who believe. So they say things like, well, I'm just not good enough, or I'm not as good as so-and-so. Remind them that no one is. Take those opportunities not to be frustrated with constant disobedience, but to be joyful in your deliverance of the gospel to their hearts. And if they say they want to find rest, tell them that it's in Christ that they can fight sin. Tell them that it's in Christ that they stop sinning. Not perfectly, of course, but it's because we are weak, not because we have this dueling nature within us. Old man, new man. Old man, new man. No. Once we believe, once God has regenerated us, the Holy Spirit has come and awakened us, and we believe and we repent of our sins, the old man is put into the grave. That's the picture of baptism. The old man has been crucified. Out of weakness we still sin, but we are empowered and enabled to follow after Christ progressively more and more and more. Lay that hope out for your children as well. And always keep in mind your goal is reconciliation. It's restoration. Last thing, I'm never this long, ever. Well, not, not in the last couple of years anyway. Why do we as believers not recoil at our Heavenly Father's discipline of us? This is the last thing. Because we know that He loves us. We don't recoil God's discipline of us because we know that he loves us. I think it's the most wonderful thing how God loves us. Ephesians 1.4, he tells us that he chose us. Of all the people, the billions upon billions throughout space and time of people, God had an elect. And he chose those people. He passed over others and chose those people before the foundation of the earth. Not because we're special, because he chooses base things through which to glorify himself. But he tells us, I chose you. Do your children know that? That you choose them. Romans 5.8, he not only told us, he showed us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Show your kids that you love them. Die to your time, fathers. 
Die to your unnecessary hobbies. Die to all of the things that are unnecessary that come between you and showing your children that you love them. Show them. Do you show them? And then Romans 8, 38 and 39, God's love will never stop. It's enduring through all our sin and eternal. Nothing we do can separate us from his love in Christ. Your kids know that, that you love them that way. That will make discipline so much easier and obedience. But it will help them to know that the rod isn't coming from a place of anger or frustration, but from a place of love. It will be easy for, easier for them to not take it lightly or to not despise it, but to receive it as an act of love. And so unbelievers here this morning, You don't receive punishment. You re- I mean, re- discipline. You receive punishment. Romans 1.18 and beyond states that the wrath of God is being revealed against you because of how you've suppressed the truth about him. And so you have faced natural consequences to your sins. And there are natural consequences. That's what Proverbs sort of worked, built on, worked into the fabric of how God has made the earth. But these natural consequences to your sins are merely trickles the dam has not yet been opened. And if you die apart from Christ, the dam will be opened for all eternity. The one place that you can find security, the one place that you can find safety is Christ. Only in Christ can you find refuge. Because if you believe in him and repent of your sins, it's because he died for your sins. And all that wrath is removed. And so, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, believe, repent of your sins, please come and talk to us. Um, believers, love your kids well, instruct them in the Lord, discipline them in the Lord. You'll mess up, you'll react with anger, you won't be careful and patient and gentle as you should be. Repent, tell your children, if you're not doing this well now, gather your family, sit down, we did this all the time, talk about what you're not doing well, apologize better ask forgiveness, repent of your sins, and then say, this is now how it's going to be because this is what the Word of God says. Again, you'll mess up, but love covers a multitude of sins. God's love for your children is greater than your own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for um, the book of Ephesians and what it's instructed us about, um, about Christ, about life in Christ. So, Father, we pray that, that we would learn these lessons well, that the Spirit um, would speak them to our heart, direct us to truth, um, and that we would follow after your Son. Conform us to the image of your Son, and may we imitate you as our Heavenly Father, as fathers of our own children. And Father, may you bless our meager, small efforts. And Father, may you save our children. Please save them and save them young. In Christ's name we pray, amen.